Record. So uh, we've been covering the book of Revelation. Uh, last week, uh, we mentioned, we covered a few things. We mentioned, we established that, that the purpose, that the purpose of the book was to reveal Jesus, not to conceal Jesus, you know, but, but, but to reveal Jesus, you know, contrary to what many people think that the book of Revelation is just this book of mysteries and secrets and, and, and symbolisms and, and, and hidden words or hidden meanings, hidden messages. No, well, we see that, that, the, that the purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal to us more of who Christ is, of who Jesus is. And so we see that these visions were given to the Apostle John, who now, uh, he's an old man by this time, you know, some, somewhere mid-90s, he's 90-something years old at this time. And it's at, it's at this time where he receives the, the, the vision uh, for the book of Revelation. And we ended last week with verse 8, and we saw in verse 8, Jesus giving an introduction of himself, you know, as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. And so we'll pick it up in verse 9 this morning with, with this vision now that, that John has of Jesus. And so it says there in verse 9, it says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We'll stop right there. So it says, we see that, that John begins to, to, to identify himself with the believers whom he is writing to. Right? I uh, remember that, that, that he's, he's addressing this, this specific letter at this specific time, specific book at a specific time, to a specific uh, a group of people. Right? And so he, we see that he begins to identify himself with the believers who, who he's addressing. And he says, John, he says, it's me. He says, me, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation. Kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, is why did John open up like this? Right? He says, your brother, your companion in tribulation, your companion in the kingdom of God, your companion in the patience of Jesus Christ. Why did he open up like this? Well, keep in mind who, who he's addressing at the time. Right? The first century church, the, the first century church had, had suffered uh, a lot of persecution by this time. Around 90-something, uh, uh, something AD, you know, 90-something AD, the, the, the church had... Had, had suffered a lot of persecution at that time. Um, it was in 70 AD that, that, that under the Roman general Titus, the temple at Jerusalem had been destroyed. And, and for the Jews, it would have been the equivalent of us saying, you know, on September 11th, uh, uh, 2001, when the, when, when the planes hit the Twin Towers. Or it would have been the equivalent of saying, uh, on the day that, 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 that JFK was assassinated, or on the day that the MLK was, was shot to death. Right, it would have been the equivalent of saying that for the Jew, and so we see that in 70 A.D. under Roman uh, General Titus, the Temple of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Interesting that that Jesus had actually uh, warned them about this; he had prophesied about this. There in Matthew 24, verses one through two, as he's walking through through Jerusalem, and the apostles, the disciples, the believers that are with them, they're kind of just bragging about the temple. They're like, "Hey, Jesus, by the way, did you check out our, our temple? It's pretty, pretty, pretty neat, huh?" And so we see there in Matthew 24, 1, 2, that this says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came, came up to show him the buildings of the temple. So they were trying to show off, like, look, Jesus, uh, you should, you know, we have a nice temple, awesome temple. It's, a, it's, an, it's an awesome building. And it says in verse 2, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, we know that after the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians, which we read about in the book of Daniel, after the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians in Jerusalem, uh, we see that, that there was a second temple built under the, the instruction and command of uh, Zerubbabel and, 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 and Ezra the priest. We can read about that in, in the book of Ezra chapter 6. And we see that 
After that, Herod the Great, which was, which was a Herod who was, in, who was in power when Jesus was born, the one who had all the babies executed, this Herod the Great expanded the building of that temple under his rule. And so for eight years, for eight, for eight years, Rome, uh, uh, Herod, Herod the Great uh, began this building project. And for eight years, he had 10,000 men, 10,000 construction workers working on, on this building year round, you know, uh, uh, um, around the clock. He, they had, he had these guys working on the building around the clock for eight years, 10,000 men working on this building. Now, some say that, that, the, that, the, that the glory of the second temple, the glory of this, of this temple, once, once Herod was done with it, was even exceeded the glory of the first temple built by Solomon. You know, and if, if you know anything about the first temple, it was amazing. And so uh, Herod put a lot of work into the second temple, right? And Herod's plan for rebuilding started in 19 BC. Uh, it was completed in AD 63. So taking more than 80 years, the temple was finally finished uh, 70 years before it was, it was destroyed. So he finished building the temple. Seven years later, it was completely destroyed. Now, when Jesus told the disciples, look, I t I, surely I tell you that not one of these stones is going to be left unturned upon one another. When he said that, they marveled because they couldn't picture this, right? It was a huge building. It was an awesome building. It's like saying, hey, man, one of these days, uh, it's like saying in, two, in the year 2000 or, or the year 1999, hey, man, one of these days, these twin towers are going to come down. Yeah, right, right. You look at these huge buildings, right? It's like something that, that our society was glorying in. We had some of the tallest towers, tallest skyscrapers. It's like, yeah, there's no way those things are coming down. But Jesus actually prophesied about that and ended up happening in 70 AD. And so... We see that the we know that that the bricks of the temple were were, were gold plated. Uh, that that second temple that, that Herod continued building, he covered the, the 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 bricks of the building with gold. They were gold gold plated, and where there wasn't any gold, he had fine marble that was like as white as snow. So you could see it from a distance, and just the shining from the gold and from the marble would have blinded you. So it was an amazing building, right? Now, some forty years after Jesus had said this to his disciples there in the book of Matthew some 40 years after that there was a Jewish rebellion on, in, in Rome uh, in, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem under the Roman province there, there was a Jewish rebellion now the Romans quickly put a stop to that they stomped that out but in the midst of all that you know there was a there was a lot of chaos going on and we see that General Titus wanted to to preserve the temple so as they as they went into Jerusalem and, and, they're, and they're putting a stop to this to this Jewish rebellion uh, the, the, the Roman General Titus he wanted to preserve the temple and have it be like one of the uh, the wonders of the world because it, it was an amazing, an amazing building. Um, a lot of people wanted to see it come down. Uh, ended up happening that, that that while they were there and they were squashing this rebellion, that one of his one of his soldiers in command got drunk. He set fire to the temple. Uh, this fire just you know got out of control, and, and the fire became so hot that the flames of, of, of this fire ended up melting the gold that was that, that was plating the, the bricks of the, of the of the temple. Now. Once the fire had, put, had been put out, the, 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 the gold seeped into the cracks of, of the bricks. And so these guys had no, uh, no choice but to just bring down the walls of, of, the, of that temple you know, in order to, to extract the gold from, the, from that temple. And so the words of Jesus actually came true. You know, he had said this from 40 years before. He said, hey, look, not one of these stones is going to be left unturned. Right? They couldn't see it at the time. Yeah, right. These stones are amazing. They're like 20 foot long you know, and, and, and they're huge. Uh, I was in Israel in 2017, and, and there's a there's a site where, where where there's still some of those some of those those stones that that they, that, that they throw off from the top. They're still in the same location. These things are huge. I mean, you would need like a huge bulldozer in order, in order to move them. So when Jesus said, "Look, not one of these is going to be left unturned," for them they couldn't imagine it, but yet it, it, it ended up uh, happening. And so 
Uh, we see that also, you know, apart from that, around July of 64 AD, uh, under the under the rule of Roman Emperor Nero, a fire broke out in Rome known as the Great Fire of Rome. You can study that in, in our history books, you know, which lasted about six days. And this fire just went through all the provinces of Rome and almost destroyed, you know, the the, the uh, all these provinces. And we see that that the this fire was actually blamed on the Christians. A lot of people still to this day uh, they don't know exactly how this fire originated. Uh, but, but still to this day, you know, they, they, they question it. Uh, a lot of people believe that it was actually uh, Nero himself who set fire to the city. Uh, this guy was a madman. He was a crazy guy. You know, some believe he was even schizophrenic. This guy was just, he was, he was insane, right? So we don't know exactly how this fire started. But when this fire started, it lasted six days. It burned almost the whole province of, of Rome. And we see that, that Emperor Nero ended up blaming the fire on the Christians. And as a result, there, became a, uh, there came a huge persecution and assassination of Christians all over the place. Um, it was at that time that that, that the Roman Emperor Nero uh, began to, to to light the the, the city wall. The, began to, to light the city with uh, with Christians. He he took Christians, tied them up, you know, uh, dipped them in kerosene, and he would light them on fire alive, you know, and he would light up the whole city. It was uh, the historian uh, Tacitus who describes the scene, you know, and he says this in, in his in his writings. This this uh, this this historian he says covered with the skins of beasts. These Christians were torn by dogs and perished, or they were nailed to crosses, or they were doomed to the flames and burned to, to serve as nightly illumination when daylight, when daylight had expired in Rome. And so we see that, 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 that Nero used these Christians as human torches to light his parties at night. And so again, this is just to make the point that there was a lot of persecution going on there in the first century. Right, there was a lot of persecution of Christians. I mean, we read about in the book of Acts how, how Paul was one of the guys who was leading the, leading the charge and persecution of the Christians. Right? So apart from Paul, they had, they had to deal with Emperor Nero. They had to deal with all these other uh, forms of persecution. And so here's John writing to them you know, in the first century, around 90 AD. And he says, John, you know, your, fellow, your fellow brother, he says, your, your, your companion in tribulation. You know, and so... And John being exiled himself as a result of persecution, he writes and he says, your brother and companion in tribulation. And so the following chapters, chapters 2 to 3, we're going to see a series of encouragements and corrections from a fellow suffering servant, John. Right? And so it says in verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, and when you, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So he starts off by saying, "I was in the I was in the spirit on the Lord's day." Now, John is about to describe something he experienced as he was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He says, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day," meaning all he was saying is like. It was this day where I was just like super in tune to the Holy Spirit. I was just in the Spirit. I was worshiping God. I was, you know, in tune with the Holy Spirit. He says, and I saw something. I experienced something. And he's about to describe it. He says, and this happened on a specific day. And he, he describes that day as the Lord's Day. Now, the Lord's Day is referring to the first day of the week, which would be uh, Sunday. You know, the day that Jesus resurrected. And so the early church, the first century church typically met together on Sundays as a way of Commemorating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, they would meet other days, but but typically they, they would make it an effort to meet on Sundays, specifically for that reason, because it was the day that the Lord resurrected. So they would call it the Lord's Day. Now, with that being said, uh, many people will argue. Many, many Christians, you know, good, good, honest Christians, good, you know, 
uh, Christians would, would, and people would argue that Christians should meet on Saturdays because it's you know it's the Sabbath day, it's the holy day, it's a day of rest. You know, and, and and they'll even point they'll even point you to the Old Testament laws, to the Ten Commandments given to Moses, and they said, "Oh, look, no, Sunday isn't the day to worship God. You know, Saturday is the day to worship God." They'll go as far to say uh, as to say that if, that if you're a Christian and you worship God on Sunday, that you're in sin because Sunday, you know, the the day Sunday is named after a the pagan god, uh, uh, the sun. You know, the, the worship of the sun god. And so they're saying, "Look, if you go to church on Sunday, you're actually, you know, and 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 uh, you're actually uh, practicing idolatry because Sunday is dedicated to the." Sun God, so you should you should worship on Saturday, but they don't realize that Saturday is actually named after the goddess Saturn, so it kind of just defeats the, the the argument, right? And so the lady goes far as to say, "Look, man, you're in sin if you if you worship on, on Sunday, if you go to church on Sunday, right?" But we see that the early church met on the Lord's Day, uh, which is Sunday, not the Sabbath. The Lord's Day would be the the first day of the week, and the law of the Sabbath was given to the nation of Israel, not to the first century church, not to the, not to the, the New Testament believers. Not to us as a church, right? It was a law given specifically to the Jews, not to us. So don't let anybody trip you up about that. You know, I mean, I've had conversations with coworkers, good, you know, guys who just love the Lord. And, and they're like, hey, then one of the first things that they ask me is, uh, uh, do you go to church on Sunday or Saturday? Like Sunday, sometimes Wednesday, sometimes Friday. I don't know, whenever it is church, I go, I go to church, right? Not a specific date, but then they want to make a point like, oh, you shouldn't go to church on Sunday. They give me the whole argument. I just kind of let them go on and on, you know, and uh, sometimes it's worth entertaining, sometimes it's not. If they're, if they're open to listening to it, kind of just learning, then, then I'll, I'll go deeper. But if not, I'll just, like, I don't want to waste my breath. <laughs> but uh, Paul actually writes to the, to the, to the believers in, uh, in, the, in the book of Colossians. And he says, man, he says, don't let anybody trip you up about a special day, about a holy day. He says, or about any Sabbath or about any festival. He's like, man, just worship the Lord, right? And so we see that, that John says, I was, on the, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I believe, I believe that as John was alone, he was abandoned, he was exiled, he was completely just uh, in complete solitude there on this island Patmos. I believe that he continued to worship God as he always did, right? A few years before, he would worship God with the, with the rest of his the, the brothers, the rest of the believers, and whatever city he was at, whatever home he was at. I believe that as he was exiled to Patmos by himself in complete uh, solitude confinement, I believe that he just continued to worship the Lord, right? It was Sunday, so he had his own little church service just... Him and God, and, and as he was worshiping God on that Sunday morning or Sunday night or Sunday evening, but on that Sunday as he was worshiping the Lord, he was just in the Spirit, in tune with the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the things of God, and all of a sudden, bam, he received this vision. All of a sudden, as, as he's there worshiping God, just him him and God, he receives this, uh, this, this, this revelation, right? I mean, I could imagine him having his own church service, just him and God. Deep in, just deeply in his heart, just seeking God, you know, and then, and then this happens. Now, I love this, you know, and again, this is me just kind of giving my own little insight. I, I believe that this is how it happened, right? Now, but I love this thought, you know, because God reminds us through this that, that we're never alone. I mean, here's John uh, in the most solitary place in the whole world at the time, completely alone, completely abandoned, completely forsaken by anybody else. And, and, and yet God is with them, you know, and even if we're exiled to the loneliest place on earth at that time, it was Patmos. Hey, God is with us. And God was with John. You know, and it reminds me of something that, that Paul said there in the book of Romans. Romans 8.35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, Shall tribulation? Shall distress? What about persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Shall peril? Shall sore separate us? He says, As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, 
through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, says, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created, he says, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. I love that. You know, if you ever feel like like you like maybe you feel distant from God or you feel like man, you know there's there's no way God can reach me in my own situation because this is that and the other, turn to the verse Romans eight thirty five and through thirty nine. Paul pretty much sums it up. He says, look, there's absolutely nothing in this world and the world to come here on earth and eternity. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, and so here's John separated physically from all society, but yet not from God. Right? And God was with him. And so as he's seeking God in the spirit, he hears something. And we're told that he hears a loud voice. He describes it as of a trumpet. Now keep in mind that, that, that John, that, that John throughout the book of Revelation, he tries to describe uh, to the best of his ability things that are way ahead of his time. Right? So he's, he's using descriptive language you know, according to what he knows at that time. I mean, keep in mind, they didn't have loudspeakers at that time. They didn't have, you know, phones. They didn't have, you know, any type of digital thing. They, they, they didn't have a lot of things that, that we have now in society, right? So he's trying to describe to the best of his ability in 90 AD things that, things that are going to happen, you know, and I believe, you know, in, in our time soon or, or soon to come in our time in the 2000s, right? And so he says, I heard a voice, a loud voice as of a trumpet. It's like us saying, um... I heard something loud like it was coming out of a JBL concert type speaker on full blast, right? That's how I would describe it. And so, and, and, and so, and so John is describing, look, he's describing using the loudest things that, that he knows at the time, which is a trumpet. He says, I heard a voice like as loud as a trumpet. That's the loudest thing he, he knows at the time. Hey, it was just loud. His point is, I heard a loud voice, right? I would have said I was on a huge speaker. But John says hey, it, it was as loud as a, as, a, as a trumpet. And now what did this voice say? And he goes on to say that he hears the voice say, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the first and the last. So this is Jesus speaking to John, right? And he says to him, write what you're about to see in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he names them by name, right? Smyrna, uh, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So he says, all right, he hears the voice of Jesus. It's a huge, it's a loud voice, you know, loud as a trumpet, just very, uh, very loud. And, and, and here's a voice and, and he identifies it as, as the voice of Jesus, not because of how it sounded, but because of what he said. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. So he knows he knows this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, uh, where you're about to hear, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches, you know, which which I just told you about. Now, again, this Asia that, that, that is mentioned here, it's not the Asia that we know. You know, it would have been Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey for us. You know, and so he's about to address these specific seven churches in Asia Minor. And so it goes on to say there in verse 12. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about uh, the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were, were white as wool, and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. I'll stop right there. And so, we see that as John hears the voice, you know, he turns to see who it is that spoke. There he is, man. He's just in the spirit. I don't know if he's bowing down. I don't know if he's kind of just crouched down. Maybe he's just looking one direction. But all of a sudden, he hears his voice, doesn't really see where it's coming from, and he turns around to see who it is that's speaking to him. 
And we see that as he turns around, he sees his vision. Right? We see that as, as he turns around to see who it is that's speaking to him. You know, now, by description, he would have known that it was Jesus. Because he, the voice said, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the first and the last. He would have known, oh, it's Jesus. Right? By the description given. Now, the description was of Jesus, but the voice was different than what John remembered. So he had to turn around, he's like, man, who's that? Right? He knew that, that it was describing who Jesus was. Begin, Alpha, Omega, beginning, the end, first and the last. But yet the voice, he didn't recognize the voice. And we're told that he turns and he sees seven golden lampstands. Now, again, uh, he's speaking, you know, he's describing things that, 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 are, that are normal to him in his time. Us, we would be like, oh, I saw a lamp from uh, Kohl's or a lamp from Costco or a lamp from whatever, you know, with an LED light bulb on it. And I saw seven of those things. But, but John is saying, look, I saw seven uh, golden lampstands. And so... Interesting that this isn't one lampstand with seven candlesticks. You know, it's not a menorah, uh, but it's, it's seven individual lampstands, you know, each with one candle. So you see seven individual lampstands. Now, these seven individual lampstands are symbolic of the seven churches that Jesus is about to address. And we're going to see that later on. And so here's the idea. You know, these lampstands aren't, aren't the light. You know, as he sees these lampstands, you know, just keep things in mind. That, that, that these lampstands are their, their golden lampstands. Here they are, you know, they're, 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 they're burning, you know, they're giving off light. But I want you to notice this, that these lampstands themselves are not the light, right? They simply just hold the light, you know, the, the, the candlesticks, right? And so this is a fitting, a fitting picture to describe the church. And we're going to see that, that these lampstands actually, you know, are, 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 are used to describe the church later on. And so this is actually a fitting picture to describe the church because like these lampstands, us as believers, us as the body of Christ, us as the church, you know, we're not, we're not the light, but, but we hold the light in us because of our testimony of who Jesus is in our lives, because of the testimony of what he's done in our lives. So we're not the light, you know, but we're like, we're light bearers, we're light holders, just like these lampstands, right? Because we hold the light and we cause it to shine in the, in the lives of others around us. And it's something that, that, that Jesus said. There in Matthew 5, 14, you know, as he's addressing the disciples, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we see that, that again, that these seven lampstands are descriptive of the seven churches which are about to be addressed. You know, and, and the church as a whole should be, you know, it should be a light to the world. Unfortunately, see this, you know, unfortunately, you know, that there's a lot of churches that actually um, um, bring darkness to the name of Christ because of the things that they're practicing. You know, they're not being uh, honest or they're not, you know, just all kinds of stuff, you know, that, that we could get into, unfortunately. Right, but 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 the church, uh, according to the Bible, should be this 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 beacon of light, you know, this light holder. And so we see that in the midst of the lampstands, which represent the seven churches, he sees, "I saw one like the Son of Man." You know, and he, he uses this phrase, "I saw one like the Son of Man." So in the midst of the churches is Jesus. You know, when he says one like the Son of Man, he was talking about Jesus. You know, and so in the midst of the churches, in the midst of these seven lampstands, he sees Jesus. Awesome. You know, so this title, the Son of Man, is a title given to Jesus actually from the book of Daniel. You know, we're actually going to cover this chapter, uh, uh, this upcoming Wednesday, chapter 7. And so Daniel in, chapter, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel says this. So in chapter 7 of, of the book of Daniel, which we're going to cover on Wednesday, uh, we, we read about Daniel having, about Daniel um, interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. 
And then we read about, about Daniel uh, in, in interpreting this, this vision for Belshazzar, right, that he saw. But in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, Daniel's going to have a dream. And Daniel's going to have a vision. You know, and then he's going to describe that vision and what it is. And so in Daniel chapter 7, uh, Daniel says, I was watching the night visions and his dreams. And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming, like the, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, talking about God the Father. He says, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And so we're going to see on Wednesday that, that, that in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this dream, he has this vision, and, and, this, and this dream that, that, that Daniel has is actually a parallel to, to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. It's going to use similar, similar uh, symbolisms. You know, different, uh, Daniel's going to have a, a vision of, of, of different animals, different beasts, but they're all going to be representative of these world-governing empires, right? And then finally he's going to see, you know, this empire which, which, uh, which, is not, which, does, which doesn't come from man, which will never, never be destroyed. And so what Daniel is saying there in, in Daniel 7, 14, he says, he says, then all people's nations and languages should serve him, talking about God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one. So his kingdom is the one will shall not be destroyed, right? In Daniel chapter 2, as Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, and then at, 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 at the, the, the last uh, description of his dream was a rock that was hewn, not with hands, that, that came in and it hit the, the statue at its feet, and it brought the whole statue crumbling down into, into dust, right? And then we, we, we mentioned how, how that rock that was, that was made not with hands is actually the, the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. Right? And so Daniel is describing that same kingdom. He says, and says, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. The kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so now we're given a description of what John sees. He sees Jesus, but it's not the Jesus that we're used to seeing. You know? It's not the Jesus that we see really on picture books. You're not really ever going to see this picture uh, of Jesus as described here. It says that he was clothed with a garment down to his feet and a golden band around his chest. So keep in mind, you know, that the, the typical wardrobe of the time were, you know, uh, long uh, 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 robes, right? Men wore long robes. They didn't wear uh, Levi jeans or, and T-shirts, right? So the men w- would wear long robes. Uh, they're, they're in the Middle East. It would get really hot. So it, they would just, you know, put a robe. They have an outer, an outer robe, you know, in order to, to cool themselves down. And so this, this, uh, this clothing that, that John has described that he sees Jesus wearing, you know, it's actually... Uh, similar to the priestly garments that the high priest would wear as they went into the temple to offer sacrifices. Right, we have a description of this in the book of Exodus, uh, how, how the, the priest would go in there to minister to the Lord, to, have, to offer sacrifices. They were to dress a certain way. Right? And, so, and so as John sees Jesus standing there, you know, he's dressed uh, in these priestly garments. You know, and interesting that the Bible actually calls Jesus our high priest, our great high priest. Not our priest, not our, not our great priest, but our, our great high priest. And, and, and what, that, what that means about Jesus is that Jesus is our mediator between, between God, you know, God and us. We don't have to go through any person. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to, hey, angel, can you, you know, uh, you, I mean, of course, I would love to pray for you. But you don't have to come to me in order so that God can hear you, right? You could go directly to God. There is no mediator, right? I don't have to go to a person. I don't have to go through an organization. I don't have to go through a church. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, hey, man, that you have that, that open door. And, and the Bible tells that you have access to, 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 to the throne room of grace, you know, of God's grace freely whenever you want. It's like, man, the door is open whenever you want, man. You don't have to. 
three in the morning. Oh man, I, I gotta, I need help with this. I gotta call this brother. I gotta call the pastor. Hey, pray for me because this. No, God will hear your prayers wherever you're at. You don't have to go through anybody, right? And so this this word priest is it means a mediator, right? Someone who goes in between. And so Jesus is our mediator between us and God the Father, right? And so we don't need to go through anybody, but just through Jesus. And so the Bible calls Jesus our great high priest. And then we're told that his head and his hair were white like wool and snow. And now in that culture, uh, white hair is connected to, to, to the wisdom that comes with, with age. Right? You see an old man and typically you know, he's lived a long life, lived through a lot of hardships, just, just gone, gone, gone through a lot in his life. You know? And so it would be, it would be uh, connected to, to just wisdom. Right? You see a, a, a head full of gray hair, white hair. You're like, man, that guy's wise. He's lived a lot. I want to sit under him. I want to see what he's got to say about life. Right nowadays, it's kind of looked upon, looked down upon. Right, our society today, they want to, hey man, they got hair dyes for men, women, anybody. Right, it's like you get a gray hair. What do you do? You pluck it out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. All right, um, Liz. All of a sudden, man, I started getting like white hairs in my nose, and I'm like, man, what's so strange? I don't have white hairs anywhere else but in my nose. And so every once in a while, I'll see them, and I'll see them in the mirror. I'll pluck them. I'm like, man, I just, they just bother me, right? But, but we see that, that, that in the Bible, you know, culturally, white hair is descriptive of wisdom. It was something to, to, to be desired. You know, and these men, like, they couldn't wait till, till they got to the age where all of a sudden, you know, they have a whole full of, uh, a head full of just white hairs. Because they would be looked at, looked at as, you know, as, as an elder, as, as, as a wise person. You know, they could, the, the younger generation would go up to him and, you know, hear advice. And so, and so John, as he sees uh, this vision of Jesus, you know, again, he sees him clothed in, this, in these priestly garments, Right. And then we're told that his head and his hair were, were white like wool and snow. I mean, like, man, they're just pure white. So it, it's talking about, it's describing the, the eternal wisdom of Jesus. And then it says, his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like fine brass as if it had been refined in a furnace. Now, now if you're familiar with the refining of metals, you take a piece of metal, you know, typically brass, copper, uh, aluminum, gold, silver, Right, and, and in order to, to refine it, meaning to get the, the purest form of this metal, you will put it in in an extreme heat, and, and and so what would happen is that is that this metal it still happens they still do it today. Right? This metal would, would, would melt, and, and all the impurities, so this metal would, would the pure the pure the, the purity of the metal would sink down to the bottom, and all the impurities would rise to the top. Right, and, and, and that's how you refine metal. That's how you refine gold. That's how you refine any metal. And so Jesus, and so John is saying that as he sees Jesus. Says that his eyes were like a flame of fire, and and his feet were were, were like were like fine brass as it had been refined. And her friends were like, man, the finest, the purest of brass. Interesting because uh, this speaks of purity and judgment. Now, brass in the Bible is always symbolic of judgment, right? Brass and bronze is always symbolic of judgment, and so this is speaking of of, of Jesus' uh, pure judgment. Right, so he comes. He's got the wisdom. He's got the. He's our He's our mediator, and, and, and he's descriptive as as just judgment in its purest form. I love that. I love that because we could walk around the the, the world today, right? We go day to day, and we see a lot of injustices. And we start asking ourselves, man, when is this ever going to end? Does anybody ever see this going on? Right? All the corruption in, in the government, all the corruption in the schools, all the corruption in society, all the corruption. I mean, you name it. Right? All these things that go unnoticed. All these things that go unpunished. And you think, man, is judgment ever going to come to these people, right? Is judgment ever going to come to the world for, for its wickedness? Is, is the evil person going to just always get his way and get away with, with, with what he does? And Jesus, and, and here we see Jesus, you know, just defined as, as, as pure judgment. 
Right? And, so, and so there's going to be a day when, when, when all the wickedness of this world is going to be judged. And, 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 and the wickedness and the evil of this world is going to get what's, what's coming to them. Right? And so we see again that John, as he's describing Jesus, he sees him and then he says this. He says, then I heard his voice as the sound of many waters. Now, similar to the, to the description of his voice being like, a, like the sound of a trumpet, of a loud trumpet. You know, he says, the rushing many waters speaks of this power and authority behind his words. Now, just imagine standing, I don't know if anybody here has ever been to Niagara Falls. I've never been there. You know, I watch a lot of documentaries. I've always wanted to go to Niagara, Niagara Falls. I love waterfalls. And so just imagine standing right under Niagara Falls as the water is coming down at you. You know, I mean, you could, you could watch videos and you could just hear it, right? Whoever's talking, they have to be screamingly loud, even if they're, even if they're wearing a mic, because the sound of the water is just so loud. But imagine standing under that water coming at you. I don't know how many miles per hour, you know, all, all, all the pressure behind it, all the force behind it, all the impact behind it. I mean, you'd probably die if you stand there for any, for any amount of time, right? Because the water is coming down at, at, with, with such an impact. And so John is saying, I heard his voice as the sound of many waters. And so it, it, it's speaking about just the, 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 the authority behind Jesus' words. It's, I heard his voice as, as it was like a, the sound of a trumpet. It was loud. More than that, it was like the voice, it was like the sound of many Russian waters, authority, you know, power, strength, you know, behind it. Boom, boom, boom. Right? And then verse 16, verse 16 says, And he had in his right hand seven stars. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And so we see that, that, that apart from the, from, the, from the wardrobe, apart from you know, the, the flaming fiery eyes, apart from the hair, apart from you know, the sound of his voice, we see that, that, that John sees Jesus standing with seven stars in his hand, in his right hand. Now, these seven stars uh, represent seven individuals from every one of those seven churches that were mentioned. Right? And we'll talk about it a little, a little later. And so we see that, that John, as he heard him speak, he says it was like a sharp double-edged sword. So not only was it, was it like, the, like the sound of a trumpet, not only was it like the sound of many Russian waters, power, authority, strength behind it, but it was like a sharp double-edged sword. Now speaking about the authority of the words of Jesus, right? Of the word of God. I believe the Bible, right? And so and then he says that, that his countenance was like staring into the brightness of the sun's rays up close. Like, man... He was looking at, at, at Jesus, you know, at, at, his, at his person, at his countenance. And he says, it was like staring into the sun. We were at a wedding yesterday, right? And then we're, having, we're having the ceremony. And I was one of the groomsmen. I'm right there and the sun was just beaming in my face. I'm like, man, I could have been opening my eyes because it was just so bright. just burning. And I was like, man, we're thousands of miles away from the sun. Imagine being up close to the sun and, and just staring right into the sun with the, with the sun and all his strength just shining on you. Right? And, and, and that's, what, that's what John has seen. As he sees Jesus, he says, man, his, his countenance was like the sun shining bright in its fullness. So he couldn't have been buried. He couldn't have been seen. He was probably looking at it like, oh, man, it was probably burning him as he was seeing it. That was, that was the, the, the countenance of Jesus. And he says this in verse 17. He says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He's like, man, I just collapsed. He's like, I was just a dead guy before him. He says, as I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And so, he says, he says And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
Now, keep in mind that, that, that this is the same John, you know, this, this John who saw Jesus, uh, the last time he saw him was in, was in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, as Jesus, he told him, you know, in Acts 1, 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the, to the ends of the world. And then in verse 9, we're told that, that he's taken up from them, from their presence, and, and a cloud received him into the sky. So that was the last time that John ever saw Jesus. And... I mean, John spent three years with them, three and some change years with them. He was close to Jesus. Uh, at the Last Supper, we're told that, 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 that John, as, as they were there eating at the Last Supper, that, that John was kind of just like leaning on Jesus like this. You know, they were, they were close, right? He had this, this, this friendship with Jesus, this intimacy with Jesus. They were close, right? They were like closer than brothers. They're just kind of just laying around. Hey, it was, was the Last Supper. You know, Jesus was going to be crucified. And just, they were close. And so, and, and yet here he sees Jesus, the same John, same Jesus, he sees Jesus now, you know, and he's completely undone. He sees him, he's like, man, I saw him and I, I fell at his feet like dead. He says, I was undone. I was ripped apart at the seams. You know, he, he was just undone. Why? Uh, he, well, he collapsed right in front of him, you know, because of his glory and his majesty. You think, man, this is the same Jesus that he hung around with for three years. This is the same Jesus who he saw hanging on a cross, beaten, bloody, you know, bruised, uh, face un unrecognizable. Uh, this is the same Jesus that he saw hanging on the cross with the Roman soldiers, mocking him, right? People spitting on him. Now all of a sudden he sees him later on and he's like, man, his glory was just so tremendous that I just fell his feet as dead. I collapsed. I was undone. I had no words. Amazing. And, and really because this is talking about Jesus and his glory, right? Jesus came... Uh, he came as a lamb. He came as a lamb. Right? He came humble. He came meek. He came to, to fulfill the, 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 the will of the Father. Right? To, to, to live a sinless life. Die on the cross for our sins. Right? But now he's reigning in full power and authority. And there's going to be a day where he's going to come back. One for his church. But he's going to come back and reign on this earth. You know, and, and, the, and with his authority in all its fullness. And this is who Jesus is right now. Right? And so we see that, that Jesus puts his hand on John. And he comforts him. And he says, hey, it's me, man. Don't be afraid. It's, it's me, John. Don't be afraid. It's the same Jesus who you saw years back. He says, it's me. I'm, I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the Alpha. I'm the, I'm the Omega. He says, I'm the one who lives and, and who was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Right? And so, and then he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, this word Hades, uh, it's known as a shield in the Old Testament. It, it's, it's referring to, to hell. What we would call it hell. It's referring to, to, the, to the place of hell. You know, and so Jesus is saying, I have the keys, I have the authority to hell and death. I have the authority of hell and death. That's awesome. You know, I was, me and Mark were talking earlier, and I was mentioning this verse, and I was telling him how, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, if you were involved in, like, neighborhood stuff, you know, I remember I, I, we, had, we had a couple of buddies who, who, like, back then, I remember that they had the keys. You know, they had the keys, meaning, you know, they had, uh, they, had, they had the big homies backing them up, so they pretty much did whatever they want. They could sell whatever they want. They could do whatever they want. You know, they were like untouchable. And everyone would say, oh, they, they got the yafas. You know, they, they, they got the keys. They were, they're untouchable right now. You know, they could do whatever they want pretty much. They could do anything. Right? So they had the authority. And, and so Jesus is saying that, that, that he is the one who holds the keys to hell and to death. Right? He has the authority. You know, he has authority over hell and over death. Man, that's amazing. Right? Because many people falsely believe that Satan is the ruler of hell and that, and that they should... And that they could reject God and just party up in hell with Satan, right? And it's it's false. It's a, it's a it's it's a lie of Satan himself. You know, he would want people to think, "Hey, man, just reject God, reject Christ. Don't worry, man. Come with me in hell. We'll, you know, we'll party up." There was a song back in the day that I used to 
every time you know I would you know, plug in my MP3 or my iPod or whatever, when this song would come up, I would bump it full blast. Yeah, no, it's a it's a biggie song. She said, when I die, I want to go to hell because I'm a whatever. You know, she says it ain't hard to tell. She says it don't make sense going to heaven with the goody goodies. I dress in all black tims and black hoodies. But that's the that's the that's what the the, the idea that the, that the world holds. And they think, man, I can reject God. I can reject. Christ, you know, why, why am I going to go to heaven? You know, I'd rather go to hell, party up with Satan, you know, do whatever I want down there. And, 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 and they really think that, that that's what hell is like. But really, the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible teaches that, that, that Jesus is Lord of heaven, of earth, and of hell too. Right? That Satan has no authority in hell. He has no authority anywhere. Actually, Satan has never been to hell. To this point, Satan has never been to hell. There's going to be a time, and we're going to read about it in the book of Revelation later on, where, where Satan is going to be bound in hell, and he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. But up until this point, <laughs> uh, Satan has never visited hell. He has never been to hell. But even if he does, you know, Jesus is, is Lord of heaven, earth, and hell. You know, he has authority over everything, over all creation. Right? Amen. And so Jesus is actually the one who holds the keys. You know, he has the authority to death, to hell, to heaven, to earth, to everything. You know, Jesus is Lord over all. And so we see that the world is under the influence of Satan. You know, but 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 that but one day it's gonna come to an end. Uh, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. Right? And we could easily look around us, look around this world, look around society, and it's it's not hard to tell that that, that Satan has his influence, you know, upon a lot of people in powerful places. Right, because of the laws that are being passed, because of the ordinances, because of all just the way society is going, it's not hard to tell that that, that there's a demonic, satanic influence behind a lot of these agendas that are being pushed on us, on our kids, on our families, right, on our churches, on, on all these things. Progressivism, just uh, uh, Satanism, uh, the, the 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 push to to just to kill babies. I don't know why why government officials love abortion so much. I I don't know why, why they're just infatuated with killing babies in the womb. It's demonic. It's satanic, right? There, there, there's no other way to explain it. You know, it's it's from the pits of hell. It's 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 satanic, and so Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. And so Satan, for right now, is like on a short leash, you know. And and, and yeah, he's you know God's letting him roam, roam around the earth and do whatever he wants, you know. But but there's gonna be there's gonna be a time where this is gonna come to an end, and, and he's gonna be bound in the lake of fire for all eternity. You know, there's no way out. He has no type of authority, no type of say, nothing. He's a created being. Right, the, in the book of Isaiah, uh, the Bible describes uh, the fall of Satan, right? And, and we're told that, that that Satan was an angel. You know, he was created by God, and so there's no way that a creation could have power, authorities, the strength over his creator. And so Satan is just nothing but but a created being, right? And so and we see that that Jesus gives gives John the outline for the things contained in the book. And we covered it last week, but I'm just go over it again. And so he tells them write down in this book the things which you've seen, which is in chapter one. He says, write down the things which are, which is going to be chapters 2 and 3, and write down the, the things which will take place, which is chapters 4 through 22. And then he says this in verse 20. He says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my, hand, in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. And so we read this, you know, like, oh, seven stars, seven golden lampstands. I, I told you what, what, what they mean. But then this is actually where I got the interpretation from. You know, I don't have to go look through any crazy commentary or dig through books. Uh, Jesus himself gives us the interpretation of, the, of these symbolisms. He says there in verse 20 again, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, which we just read. He says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Right? <laughs> it's easy to interpret. Because Jesus himself gives us the interpretation. 
And so Jesus reveals the mystery of the symbolisms that, that, that he just used. And he says, the seven stars are referring to seven angels of the churches. And the seven lampstands are seven churches. Now, this word angels that, that, that's used right here in the Greek is the Greek word uh, angelos. And, and, and angelos means a messenger, uh, one who is sent, an angel. I was talking about spiritual being an angel or a messenger from God. And really, uh, Jesus is about to address the seven messengers who are at the seven churches leading the work there at the churches. Uh, who we would consider as you know, the pastors of these churches. Or who put titles on, on these things. So he, he's really going to address the, the, the guys who are leading the workshop at these churches. They're pastors. He's going to talk to seven pastors you know, concerning the, the, way that the way their church is going. And so to some, he's going to give a rebuke. To some, he's going to give an exhortation. To some, he's going to give a correction. To some, he's going to encourage. And, and, and to others, uh, he's going to say, you know what, dude, you're done. <laughs> you know, so he's going to give seven, seven uh, different uh, addresses to seven different uh, pastors over seven different churches. But again... As we read these things, as we read these, these, these encouragements and, and these and these writings to these churches, we could apply it to our lives as well, right? Uh, I mentioned last week how you know, there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor, you know, but, but, but the number seven speaks about completion, about this fullness, right? About just this, this finished work. And so Jesus is addressing these seven churches in Asia Minor, but really it was for the church as a whole. Again, interesting that, that Paul himself also wrote to seven churches inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Corinth, Rome, uh, Colossae, uh, Philippi, uh, Thessalo, the Thessalonica, Corinth, and Ephesus. Ephesus, so seven churches. There were more than seven churches. There were many house churches that, that we don't know the name of, right? Uh, we know that Aquila and Priscilla were, were, were at house church. We know all these different individuals were at house churches. But, but for whatever reason, you know, the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote to seven churches. But just talking about the, the, the fullness, the completion, the finished work you know, of, of these writings. And so we could take these, these encouragements and, and these exhortations to these seven churches. You know, and we could glean from them and we could learn from them. And um, we're not going to get into it today, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it next week. You know, but with that, I, I want to just leave you with this encouragement. You know, as we go, you know, uh, enjoy this Sunday, watch the Super Bowl, go through our week, whatever it may be that you have planned today. You know, one thing that I was super encouraged by, by just uh, studying for this, reading, preparing, uh, and just meditating on this, is just, man, Lord, you have authority over everything. All right, that's one thing that, that impacted me so much is that, man, we see everything that's going on around the world today. Um, I don't know if you guys are, are aware of what's going on in, 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 uh, in Ukraine, you know, with Russia, Ukraine. It's... Very possible. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just, this isn't like one of those thus says the Lord type of things. But it's, it's extremely possible that we could be at the brink of a third world war. We have China trying to, 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 to invade Taiwan. And we have North Korea wanting to invade uh, uh, South Korea. We have Russia trying to invade Ukraine right now. And it's very possible that something is going to just happen you know, out there. Again, it could be a third world, uh, you know, another world war, the third world war. Uh, it could just be another war. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know that, that something is, is it's very possible that something is going to happen. It's more than likely. Uh, speaking about Ukraine, um, they're kind of just left right now to just fend for themselves. Uh, the U.S. Embassy has retreated. Uh, President Biden has, has sent out a, a, a notice to all the 
all the U.S. government officials there, whether they're soldiers, whether they're, they're workers of the embassy, whatever, whatever workers they are from the U.S., he, he gave them an instruction. He said, look, if you need to leave, leave right now because if something happens, we're not going to be able to bring you out. And so we see that the U.S. embassy has retreated, the, the, the French embassy has, has retreated, the Canadian embassy has retreated, the U.K. embassy has, has retreated. All these, almost every single uh, embassy from every single nation of the world in Ukraine has left Ukraine. Right? We see that, that, that Russia right now has, has uh, helicopters bordering Ukraine. So as, as Ukrainians are driving through, through, the, through the border there uh, uh, in, in Ukraine, they can see all these helicopters just, just posted up right there, ready to attack at any time. Um, Russia has... Uh, all these, uh, all these uh, boats, all these, all these ships that, 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 are, that are there, just surrounding uh, the area as well, just ready to attack. Uh, a couple of days ago, I believe uh, I heard Pastor Jack saying that 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 that, uh, that, that Russia uh, was able to detect a U.S. A U.S. submarine. Now that's unheard of because of the technology that we have here in the U.S. You know, we have this specific technology. It's like super high-tech technology, you know, that, 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 that we have in our subs, you know, in our, in our Navy subs where that they could go, you know, anywhere undetected. But somehow Russia has infiltrated our technology. Now they're able to detect these subs that are, that are, that are, that are roaming around there. So they saw one of the subs. They give them notice. Hey, look, man, we see you. We see you there. You better get out of the way. And so our U.S. sub retreated from the area. And so what I'm trying to say is that Something could, could no doubt happen. Uh, we could again enter into a third world war. There could just be something popping off right now out there and, 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 and just different nations get involved. Um, we don't know what's gonna happen, right? And this isn't to scare us. I'm not trying to be like a doomsday type of thing ruining your, your, your Sunday. But, but this is an encouragement to all of us that look, Jesus said there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. You know, but he says, uh, um, this is not the end, but this is science of the end. These are like the, the birth pains. Right? And he describes all these things that are happening. He says wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, uh, different natural disasters that are going to happen. And this is kind of just, just the birth pains, right? This, is, this doesn't mean that the right then is coming right now, but it means it's very soon. It's going to happen soon. And with all that, man, we could take comfort in the fact that God is sovereign overall, right? If he's Lord of heaven, if he's Lord of earth, if he's Lord of hell, he's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of our puny little, you know, earth. He's Lord of our situations, and, and he's in complete control. None of these things, none of these things, taken by surprise, right? Vladimir Putin right now is thinking, "All right, man, I got this whole plan, you know, set up. You know, no one knows what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna sneak attack, whatever he may think." But 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 God God knows already. You know, God knows already what he's gonna do. He's gonna who's gonna respond? Who's gonna retaliate? How's it gonna all pan out? Right. So for God, nothing takes him by surprise. You know, all these things that we're about to read in the Book of Revelation. Now, one of the main things, the main themes is. is is uh, injustice finally, you know, just meets uh, its justice, judgment, right? And so, and so we see that, that God is going to judge the, the, the wickedness, the evil of this world, uh, Satan himself, right? And so Satan's right now roaming the world thinking, man, look, I'm getting away with, with murder, I'm getting away with every, whatever I can do, right? There's going to be no consequences for me, but literally he knows, does he know that, that he's going to be, you know, in hell for all eternity, right? And so, and so God, for God, nothing takes him by surprise, you know, this doesn't come as a, as a surprise for him. He's sovereign, he knows what's going to happen next. We don't, but we can trust in the one who does know. Right? And our comfort comes in that. And knowing, all right, Lord, you know what's going to happen next. Lord, our lives are in your hands. That's it. Right? And that's my encouragement for you to, this morning, man. If you're, for whatever reason, worried about what's going to happen next, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen you know, with our nation. Amen. Trust the Lord. Right? He's in control. Amen. Amen. Father God.